Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another crazy good episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitver. And I'm Maria. And we are here today with Peter Wheeler, one of the most interesting men in the world, I think. Why would you say that? Because we're going to ask you your background, and you're going to tell this insane story, which is the story you told us. And we are so impressed with you, Peter, and we can't wait to hear about it. And everyone will agree with us that you're one of the most interesting guests we've had on the show. I got to write down my wallet. Don't make that face. <laughs> As we see Peter is packing up his microphone and leaving. Yeah. He's like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> All right, this is going well. So we have Peter Wheeler. <laughs> he is the senior marketing manager for product-led growth and special audiences at Auth Zero, not Auth O, which is an Okta company. And we are so excited to have you on, Peter. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. And while that's my role, I do want to say that. Anything I express here is not an opinion of an employer, past or present. This is my life, my experience that I'm talking about and my philosophies. So there we go. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. And editor, if you can, can you splice in, it's my life, right after he talks? Thank you. Uh, (laughs) That's going to follow me the rest of my life if you do that. (laughs) All right. So Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been founding businesses since I was about 16 years old. Started off in car stereo. I was a drop shipper in the late 90s, early 2000s doing online retail. So I like to think I was an innovator. The bubble did not affect me because I didn't make enough to even count, but at least I had that experience. Got into development not long after that. Flash and action script are my formal education. So as of last year, I'm officially retired. I've been forced out. It's nice to outlive technology you're trained in. Ended up doing some work around many industries, built car dealerships, did Dolby's first consumer-facing campaign in a very long time, gave birth to a beer for Miller Coors. Any of this stuff, if you want deeper details, I want to save time for the show. If you want deeper details, hit me up on LinkedIn or Polywork and look at my portfolio. We'll have fun. Anything specific you want to talk about? Kanye West? Cybersecurity? Yeah. How did you end up at Auth0 slash Okta? So how did I end up at Auth0 powered by Okta? I ended up at Auth0 in 2016. I had sold off and lost portions of my last entrepreneurial endeavor. And my fiance at the time, after many, 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 many years, said, get a real job. And then we can set a wedding date. So I agreed to those terms. And I started working for a geospatial firm named Boundless. It was acquired by Planet Labs in 2018. I was an independent contributor slash interim head of marketing for a couple years with them until we were pushing into acquisition. 
brought in a king of kings marketer. You need to have that name when you're doing an acquisition. You, you really need to have that energy and that umph. And beyond that, stellar marketer. Name's John Updike. Love the guy. And he helped reset some areas of my career path and make me really think, oh, wow, working for somebody's pretty cool. Acquisition happened 2018. Got room to have some time off, do consulting, practice entrepreneurial marketing again, and be a stay-at-home dad. I had kind of forfeited some FMLA and some moments with my daughter and COVID hit. So I decided, you know what, I'm really going to be a stay-at-home dad for a while and did a lot of consulting. And part of my consulting promise was to do at least half of what I was doing pro bono and for nonprofit organizations. And I really fell in love with the space. I got hooked up with some really cool organizations. Nest, which helps artisans around the world, has been my favorite because they work with other organizations and they basically dole you out as an asset to execute campaigns or do different types of specialty work for these smaller organizations. So if you're looking for a volunteer opportunity, build a nest.org. So COVID was kind of clearing up. We found a great school for my daughter. They were masking. Like we were feeling comfortable about me getting back into the world. And Auth0 had this entrepreneur role open to do product impact for social enterprises, being like the good guys is how you would kind of phrase it. So not just nonprofits and charities, but organizations that are doing positive things in the world, even if they're for profit. A lot of people think like public benefit corporation or B Corp. That's just touching the surface of how these organizations work. So I've been doing that for two years. My team, we fall under the VP that runs our self-service product, our product-led growth product for customer identity and access management. So I've been able to expand my purview beyond social enterprises and social impact organizations to also focus on our startups program and our product-led growth and our interaction with developers and strategic partnerships. If you're looking to be a partner, hit me up. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. You also have a podcast, don't you? I do have a podcast for other corporate social responsibility professionals. It's called Good Chat. It's at heygoodchat.org. We haven't moved the domain yet, but we have a lot of amazing people that have positions like mine where they work with nonprofits. Maybe they have a special offer. Maybe they're doing employee engagement and volunteering, or they run the DAF, Donor Advised Fund. Uh, A lot of them operate with Pledge 1%, where the company gives up 1% of its equity towards good causes. And we just interview a lot of great people. My hope is to inspire everyone to take part in doing something whether it be volunteering or moving from the private sector to the nonprofit space or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's just a great time. And thanks for letting me do a plug. This sounds amazing. I feel like a lot of marketers would love to have this special department within their cybersecurity company, or at the very least as part of the growth strategy and giving back. What advice do you give for cybersecurity companies listening that would want to do something like this, but maybe either too small, not enough funding, not enough internal buying, what are some things they could do? I guess first, we'll just move off the excuses. You can never be Mm -hmm. too small. We can all volunteer independently. We can all sit on a board. We can all show up. That's it. Just show up. You can mentor. Yeah, you might not have enough money. Donations are very hard to come by. You run into nonprofit organizations that do these things called pay to play. So like volunteer, you actually have to give them money. You can avoid that. You can skip that. Just simple things. Giving your employees volunteer time off. We're always trying to figure out better benefits to give people. It doesn't have to be a lot. It can be one hour 
a year, could be 40 hours a year, just whatever you can do, whatever you feel you can sacrifice. And that's the important term. It's not just letting it happen. You really should make a a conscious effort to contribute to the greater good. In my personal case at Auth0, my focus is on product impact. So we have discounts and Auth0 has always had a free plan. So we we had to rule that out, but we do have very dramatic discounts for nonprofit organizations and charities around the globe to help them do identity authentication, access management, all the things that you really want to do for any professional enterprise, especially someone that is handling individuals who are at risk or needing that program help, but also that have a lot of cash flow because of donors and that it's not important for them to sit on money or have big payroll. It's important for them to get out and do programs. They're an ideal audience. So if your organization has something for startups or different types of discounts and breaks, you can look at product impact. You can do things like having a donor advice fund where you put aside revenue, whether it be stocks that are sold off by this donor advice fund or just cash that helps build that fund. Think of a 401k for charities that's sponsored by your job. I think it's the easiest way to put it. Those are simple ways to contribute. Even matching donations funds is a perfect way to do it. Give employees $200 and match it. Simple, simple things. So there we go. That's all I got. Love that. All amazing ideas. If you want to build some of this into the campaigns that you're doing too, I can touch upon at least three examples I know of of cyber companies doing work around charity or have done work around charity and charitable giving. So at the beginning of the pandemic, Axonius launched a website to offer free services to companies, small businesses, and a bunch of cyber product companies joined that website and people could come because it was such a hectic time. We were all moving directly to remote from not being remote and everybody was remote. It was such a massive headache and honestly terrible situation for a lot of IT and security teams that Exonius launched that for teams of companies all over the country. I know Serena Raymond and the people over at DNS Filter raised a lot of money for Ukraine recently. And I'm saying like hundreds of thousands of dollars from cyber companies and have all given that to support Ukraine. And then at Votero, what we did recently for RSA was instead of buying swag and giving away junk at our booth, if you came and spoke to us at our booth, we would actually donate money to the National Wildlife Federation. And it was beneficial to both the Wildlife Federation and the company. And I love all the ideas you gave, Peter. It's really cool because it sounds like none of these organizations have a formal program to begin with. They just stepped up. And that's Mm -hmm. really part of modern employment culture. Everybody wants that type of opportunity. And thank you for making an effort to end trash and trinkets. (laughs) So this is a great segue into Strong Opinions by Peter, which is what I'm calling this segment. Perfect. (laughs) Are you going to do the video? Can they see that I actually have a throne from a church for my pulpit behind me? I think we should do the video. Uh, You you don't have to do the video. You can certainly just uh, whatever the plug was, but yeah. We could do a little crown on you too. If you want, well, I just, like... I'll go in the other room and get my, one of my crowns. Oh. <laughs> Grab your superhero cape too while you're yeah. in that other room. And, and my, my megaphone and <laughs> my, my wife calls me Gaston. Up. And a, a couple of people that I've worked with say that I'm Gaston with the life path of Forrest Gump, which is why I had to cut the <laughs> short. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. All this and so more Peter, on hated is- chat. <laughs> 
It's goodchat.org. Hey, goodchat.org. All right. Hi. <laughs> we'll put that up in a flashing mm-hmm. on the screen. And we absolutely will link to all of these things in the show notes. So you can contact Peter afterwards. So Peter, what are some of these strong opinions that you have around PLG marketing to cyber and about the tofu model? Where do you want to start? Let's talk about special audiences. When I'm talking about social impact organizations, when I'm talking about startups, we're go to market is an important thing, but so is product marketing. And we all, whether formal education or tinkering around, are familiar with different frameworks and concepts and everything else. And Eugene Schwartz said something a long time ago about the different stages of awareness. And one of the things that's been adopted in the past decades has been abandoning the unaware audience. And that's been very important for the audiences I work with who have not made a budgetary allocation mentally nor financially towards things like cybersecurity. They don't exactly understand what the point of it is, especially in a product like ours, where it's more about the login process when you're outside looking in than about anything to do with cybersecurity. And I think everybody that's listening here faces some level of that reality. Like we're the people at family dinners who don't really talk about what we do because we just don't have the time. So when you're thinking about your audience for that, that's the unaware audience. And in nonprofits, in startups, there's a big shareholder footprint, the stakeholder footprint, people that are affected by what the organization does. Let's just leave the organization itself out of it. Educating that audience and having them demand an enterprise level experience from everyone that they operate with is good. Making them understand what cybersecurity truly is, is good so that they implement just the simple things, password locks on their phone, good Wi-Fi passwords, not using USB chargers that are sitting around at airports, just the simple, simple stuff. And part of what we've adopted at Auth0 is teaching that. We have these great cybersecurity checklists for home and work. If I was hard pressed for a business case, and I hope nobody from work is listening to this, I can make one based off of this stakeholder argument, creating awareness, making co-branded materials. But if you wanted a direct tofu business case, that does not exist because we're not talking about our product. We're talking about what elements outside of our product make our product important. And so for me, that is the facing the unaware audience. I'm getting nods, which means I rambled. No. Okay. No, I was wrapping my head around the audiences, the product-led growth, and this tofu model that either works or doesn't work in some of these strategies. And I'm wondering, are you saying that it also wouldn't work with special audiences that happen to be bigger businesses or maybe enterprise? So I wasn't even covering product-led growth. I was just covering product marketing concept of- Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So I was still on social impact and on startups where you've got these organizations where people are wearing many hats. They maybe you can guarantee that they don't have a CTO in most cases. Maybe they're doing shared services, IT, shared services development. They have somebody that they pulled off of Upwork. Mm. It's those organizations. You want to work with everybody that touches that organization to get that initial stakeholder appeal. And That helps with that whole argument of like, everybody is like, where does it go in the CRM? How does this tofu work? And then we have that whole scenario of dark social. Mm. And you really have to think of dark social as community. It's not just like unattributable results. 
it is actually participating in communities. I discovered you through LinkedIn, not through any media buy. Being on podcasts like this one, I got my message out. Can I attribute it? No, you're not going to put a UTM parameter on every show note link. Yeah, we are. Oh, okay. No, we're not. Sorry. We're not. Sorry. We're all professional marketers here. We have to toss UTMs on things. <laughs> Telegram, Discord, we're all floating around in something. And becoming credible and becoming relevant are two very important things in modern day marketing. Okay. Special audiences aside, product-led growth. Like I said before, we have our freemium model, our self-service product, and it can satisfy everyone. Let's say you just have a WordPress website and you want it to be easier to log into. You can set up social sign-on with a WordPress plugin and a free Auth0 account, and you're good to go. It takes like 45 minutes if you're not a developer. Very simple to understand. So when you're looking at product-led growth, when you're looking at freemium models, and I think we have like 29 permutations of self-service beyond that point, you're then adding the features. You're scaling up to enterprise. You have to develop your pricing model that aligns to it. And this is where we kind of break tofu, is that your leads that are coming in from product, and we have those scenarios like product qualified leads, I think is the, mm -hmm. the most acceptable term these days. Mm -hmm. That goes into a different stage than somebody that does a form fill. That goes into a different stage than somebody that was at a trade show. That goes into a different stage than a renewal because it is someone that grew up with you or that aspired to be an enterprise customer or that stuck it out as they grew to be your enterprise customer and they have to be treated as such. That's really where product-led growth is. So if you're building community, you're working with developers, you're working with individuals, you're working with smaller organizations and you're proving a free or cheap product in front of them, whether it be discounted enterprise or freemium model, you're developing that trust. You're using community, AKA dark social to enhance that trust, good documentation, good outside and network customer support, just being active, having your staff invigorated, maybe with some volunteering to do cybersecurity assessment threats for individuals and organizations that they're close to. Just simple, simple, simple stuff. And you develop that trust. I think we're in a zero trust industry. Developing that trust. I don't know. I've never heard that before. Oh, no. Working towards permanence, dating and then marrying. That's where we're at. You want these true brand champions. And when you're looking at the audiences that I've got, founders are founders of multiple things. So startup people hop over and people that work for startups usually like working for startups. So when an organization gets too big, they cash out and they move. Nonprofits, I think the average tenure of someone at a director level or higher is 16 months. If you're maintaining your reputation, you're maintaining your brand, you're maintaining these things outside of an account-based tracking and you're actually doing it in your, their account. Who is your guy? Oh, I have a dude that comes and paints my house. Oh, I have this landscaping company I love. You've got to become that referral and referrals are worth more than research ever will be. Yeah. I mean, opportunities close that are much higher win rate when they come from referrals anyway. So forget about that funnel model at all when you have that. Yeah. No one here said forget about the funnel. My XDR team members out here, continue making your phone calls. <laughs> Peter, you said something when you were describing this special audience of a person who is trying a PLG product and you're trying to build trust into the experience and you're trying to treat them like an enterprise, right? You said they grew up in the product. 
what are you doing to make it special for this user to make them feel like they're being treated like an enterprise, even though they may just be like a team of one doing the part-time IT at a startup nonprofit or something while juggling a million other things? There are two scenarios there, and they can both be satisfied by one concept, customer advocacy. And when you're dealing with a enterprise customer, you know how it is. They have white glove service, they have TAMs, they have SEs, they have rapid response times, guaranteed SLA, all this stuff that is not necessarily given to a self-service customer. That's not necessarily promised. Both in the deliverable product, features are removed or counts are reduced, but then also just in the experience of obtaining it. And something that, and again, this is my personal opinion, something that I love about where I'm at is they're renowned for documentation. Like I said, that WordPress install, 45 minutes if you're not a developer, and I think the manual, including screenshots, is like 10 pages long. And you can do it, and it's done. So document, high-quality documentation, if you're doing a PLG product. Not everybody can do product-led growth. Not everybody has a product that you can just sell online, e-com style. Some things require enterprise. But yes, documentation, ease of access. With our nonprofits, it's kind of complicated. We have to verify that they're a nonprofit. We use a couple different third-party organizations to do the technical term, the industry term is validate the organization. Are they a 501c3? Are they flagged for adverse media, for hate speech? What's their financials look like? Some people do that. Not everybody does that. But you want to make sure that they're viable and that they are who they say they are. So you make that investment in time to do all that. Startups, very similar way. What funding round are you looking at for cutoff? What headcount? What minimum ARR? Reducing customer friction to come on is key. Somebody signs up, don't make them verify their email. Skip that step, please. Let them play with the dashboard. Let them build something out because guess what? They're going to verify their email at some point. There is a process for that, but they shouldn't have to do it first thing. Walk a mile in their shoes is all I can really say. If you were someone who was pressed for time, who couldn't incur tech debt, meaning that it's not just the purchase, it's not the purchase price, it's how many people have to be trained? How long does that take? How long does it take to do initial configuration? Is it set it and forget it or is there maintenance required? What do maintenance contracts look like? Are there professional services firms? Are there managed service offerings? Like just that list I rattled off probably take an hour to answer every single one of those questions. And that's an hour that many smaller organizations and hobbyists don't have. But the product that you're making in product-led growth is designed for those individuals. So reduce the friction, make it easy, make it accessible, and document it as beautifully and concisely distilled, but accurately as you can. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. 
It's interesting because you do have to do extra steps for the nonprofits and potentially the startups if you're offering a cheaper version, right? So for example, in our world, HubSpot, right? HubSpot for startups, you have to validate via your VC firm that you're an eligible startup to get access to HubSpot. But at that point, when you're verified and whatever, you do get the full access to all the product. So is there something you do, Peter, to make that verification process more frictionless and seamless for your special audiences? This is something I'm very proud of, and it's documented in various blogs that this customer journey advocacy element is very important to me, especially in the validation space. Taking this process because you're verifying that they're an agent of the organization, that the organization does this and that, and that they are who they say they are, both the organization itself and the person purchasing or implementing on their behalf, that can take many, many, many days, 22, 30, 45 days. And if anybody's touched a commercial sales cycle, that's a lifetime. That's them moving on to somebody else. Now, if we're talking public sector, that's like the fastest contract time you'll ever have. <laughs> Maria knows that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really miss the pub sec space, but I miss the pub sec people, if that makes sense. So one of the things that I was able to do was bring on different types of validation partners where one might be slow, but it's the big, big, big organization in the space. And they allow individuals to set up accounts and organizations to set up accounts so that the process is faster. You were talking about the VC firms for startups. That's a credible source, credible source of truth. They are who they say they are. The person that you're talking to actually does represent the organization. Boom, done. That takes that time to live or time to action to hours. And when you're dealing in a self-service product, that's super important because people are buying these things at 3 a.m. We've all bought a domain for some great idea we've had at 3 a.m. Yeah, Gianna. Yeah, imagine if somebody was standing there in the way, validating your idea. That's how we'll approach it. Is this a good idea? How many beers have you had? <laughs> what problem is this solving? Is this worth your 11 bucks to purchase this domain? Will you ever use it? Do you really want it to have butts in it? Or like, <laughs> should you choose a different word? <laughs> so you want to reduce that time frame. And we went with multiple vendors to accomplish that. There was another one that, operates with an on-the-fly database. So they proactively validate. And this is the scenario where I can't even think of an example. But what they do is they have the IRS database, 1.2 million organizations. And then they have this global database. And they go out, they make the effort in the first place to do all this validation work. So that when you have your self-service customer come on board, they can just click, click, click. Yes, this is me. Yes, this is me. Yes, this is me. Oh, yeah, my email address is the same domain as the organization I'm applying for. Okay, done. No extra steps. It's clear. There's no handwork on your side either. And I will plug that organization because on the product-led growth side, their origin is in allowing organizations to, the company is called Percent, and they are wearepercent.com. Great group of people. Stefan and Henry, look them up on LinkedIn and harass them, please. That's awesome. Maybe Instagram too. Peter, do you get to benefit from branding or co-marketing opportunities with some of these self-service customers? And if so, at what point in their PLG journey do they feel like, okay, I want to be your champion. Sure, I'll do some co-marketing with you or case studies. or They are my favorite case study. 
in PLG in general, you've got such high volume that you're not looking at that. You are looking at really cool tools that can help you figure out who your champions may be, who your high growth organizations are. Anybody shopping for a tool, I think Correlated is kind of the cool thing out there right now, like the really great platform to use. When you're looking at a smaller audience, so I'm going to fall back into social impact and startups, you're not doing the same kind of volume, but you're doing a lot more touch point. And in that touch point, you're getting my favorite kind of data as an experiential marketer, anecdotal. And that's where you can start really analyzing your customer journey. Was it great or was it horrible? You get to analyze your product. Are the features appropriate at the levels that they're perching? What can you remove? What should you add? And then you can deal with your pricing team, your councils, whatever it may be to figure that out. That's where you get your best line of sight. You think of it like evolution, where if enterprise contracts have these year-long lifespans, whereas self-service is often month to month. So you get that month to month feel out of everything. You get a higher volume. So you understand evolution a lot better and a lot quicker. They are my favorite case studies. I have a couple organizations that are top of mind right now. Every.org, which is a donation platform for nonprofits, actually took part in both programs. They were a startup organization, and then they moved into our nonprofit work. And they won a Pizzagatti Prize at N10 last year. And it was one of those things where like, we found it and we said, you should go up for this. And so they applied and they won it. It's really cool having that kind of like personal relationship with an organization. On the inverse, NCBI, the National Council for the Blind of Ireland, they were up for five spider awards. And one of them was relevant to their use of our product. And that was really cool for them to do for us. And where did that relationship expand? We did a minor case study on them. And we started focusing on a major. In the meantime, they wrote a case study on their usage of our product. In the meantime, they had us on their podcast to talk about both their implementation and what we see for the future of accessibility. In the meantime, they had a discussion with me about how to format and formulate documentation and documents in general, whether they be marketing documents or, or internal pieces, to be more accessible. And I learned a lot about the tech and it was great. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna really move with this. So it's not just, I like to use the term swagger jacking, where you ride on the coattails of another organization or you affiliate with yourself with somebody that's a little bit more popular, but like this mutual growth and this really cool accountability on greater product that growth, that's not always there. But when you're focusing into a more specific special audience and you can be passionate about that audience, like if you hate organizations that are like struggling to pay their bills, you're probably not going to want to be in the startups category. If you don't want people to thrive, if you hate puppies, if you wish the environment would go calamitous, I would avoid the nonprofit arena. And I'd also seek other types of help. But like <laughs> being able to have these one-on-ones and work with these organizations is really, really cool. And that's where the benefit comes from. It's not just we had this really cool case study and it, that is a side effect. We had this really cool case study. Everybody loves us. Everybody loves this organization that we worked with. We see the value that the organization found. We see how you bent over backwards to make it work for that organization. We want to work with you. We don't expect that same kind of treatment. We just like affiliating our brand and our ideals with a company that's showing ethos, with individuals in a company that are showing ethos. Oh, wow. 50% of your staff takes part in your volunteer time off. Amazing. I wish my company would do that. I just want to be 
affiliated with you. I'd love to be a customer because that makes sense. Like this is the modern business environment. That's it. Yeah, it's definitely contagious. And I love that. I think it's the exact opposite of what a lot of us marketers experience when we try to get close to a customer and try to get them to come on record to talk about our relationship, their experience, either on our product or their experience with our people during implementation or POC or whatever. We get a great deal of no's for a lot of reasons, obviously. They don't want to disclose whatever. But to see that it is possible on the other side, but still within cyber and the relationship with customers, it gives hope to some of us struggling still. And I will advise against brolanthropy or corporate social profiteering. Do not Mm. attach strings. Don't attach strings. Don't say, well, if you're going to get this discount, you have to do a case study and a testimony and we have to be able to use your logo and six year people have to show up at our trade booths this year. No, you just do it because you're supposed to do it and the rest will follow you. That's going back to community. Do it because you're supposed to do it. Awesome. Maria, do you want to ask about Richard Branson's alligator? Oh, no, no. That's not even a fun one. But yeah, sure. Ask about Richard Branson's (laughs) alligator. Peter. Tell us about Richard Branson's alligator. Please. All right. So they're referencing a picture on the wall behind me. The way that I got into experiential marketing, the whole start of it all was a very good friend of mine who was a nightclub promoter who was very well connected, had a phone call from some Brit at a British office. I ended up hanging up on that phone call because I thought it was a prank. But we ended up doing a TV series block launch for country music television called Adventure Country. And part of the campaign was carrying around alligators in a suburban. I was conscripted. I wouldn't say I was a volunteer. I was a tribute to drive these around. Now, embellishing, they were fiberglass alligators. But I also learned that fiberglass alligators maybe are far more dangerous than the real thing. And in moving one, I just gashed. I sliced my arm wide open. It's a scar that I've now had for 15 years. And that is the boring story about the alligator. But tell us about Richard Branson. Where does he fit into this whole story? It was all released by Virgin. The call came out of his office. Yeah. So the short story is Richard Branson's alligator bit me. And then the long story is very boring. We prefer the short story. Well, I think that we're going to have to dig up that adventure country show and add links to it in the show notes. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. It's probably on YouTube. Gator 911 was that specific show. One of the things that I really loved about that campaign, I'm going to go completely off just marketing geek land. Let's go. Google Voice had come out at the time. And yes, I'm dating myself. I don't care. Google Voice had come out. And one of the people in the organization that I was with, this was before I was an agency owner, or had any of the cool contracts on my own. I was just a worker. They had this great idea of making a bunch of fake businesses and setting up business card racks at restaurants and hotels and all these different places. And when you called the number of the business, it would just tell you about the TV show block. That was the voicemail message. But the businesses just completely stand out. My favorite one, and I have a card of it still, was for a casket repossession service. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you're like totally motivated just to figure out what kind of business this is. And casket repossession of those was my favorite. I think the firm that put that on is dissolved since now, but there were some really brilliant people in it. And I love the experiential space just because you can get paid to launch a business that does casket repossession a faux business and put out business cards. 
A logo and everything. Logo and everything. I'm surprised MTV didn't spin off a reality show on that where you see actual trucks going and repossessing. <laughs> oh my God, Maria. What is this? Coffin flop? This is terrible. Coffin flop. <laughs> I think you found your fast fire job. You can you probably retire early. Give That's it. I'm doing call it. And pitch it. <laughs> All right. I think instead of playing our game, I because I think it'll be too difficult. I think we should just ask Peter the question. What do you think, Maria? Let's do it. All right, Peter. So before we end the episode, we're going to ask you to tell us if you were not doing your job today or any of the previous jobs you have already had, what would you be doing in your life? Honestly, I love what I do. Do I wish that COVID didn't happen and I could be spending more time with mm -hmm. my kids in really cool places? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do I wish that we were in an environment where I could do really awesome experiential campaigns and not worry about being a semi-spreader event? Yes. But there's also opportunity. I'm loving doing this podcast. I'm loving talking to people like yourselves. I'm loving being able to find a soapbox and a pulpit to operate from. I, I love all this kind of stuff. So what would I be doing? I'd be doing work I enjoy, which is the kind of work I'm doing now. I'd be doing a lot more mentorship than I've been doing. I'd probably camp be camped out in front of a smoker, which I've got right outside my office door, cooking something and just staying busy and happy and enjoying time with my kids. Love that. Can I just say that that's the statement, what I'm doing now, a job I yeah. love, mentoring people, being brazen, my regular guest on self and having fun, attainable hobbies that even if they're expensive. I can say, well, it's just our most expensive appliance. Oh, well, I made dinner tonight. You know, just simple things. Like that. <laughs> I love that. What's your favorite thing to smoke in the smoker? Brisket is always a good time. It depends on the type of equipment, but there's something very zen. There was this Netflix show, and I was finally able to explain to my wife, the woman that was doing the smoking, she had a regular job, but she was out at like 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. just gently shoveling coals and moving things around all by herself in this huge space with these glowing coals. And, and you can say like ribs or burgers or chickens or anything like that. Those are pretty quick. Those are one to eight hours to do a brisket. You're looking at 18 hours. You don't make brisket for lunch. It's just not a thing that happens. Wow. So you're starting at 10 p.m. You're there at witching hours and at you're alone and it's dark and there's just the right kind of wind and the right kind of, it's so romantic. It's so Zen. It's just very peace. It's the, one of the few areas I can find like true peace for myself. I'll still get some God awful song stuck in my head. Like I think what you threw on during my initial announcement about myself, which it's in my head right now. Thanks so much. All I have to say to you is zig a zig. Ah, <laughs> enjoy that and with that everyone what a wholesome way to end this episode thank you you really had me picturing myself actually smoking on a nice cold fall night i love that thank you so much peter for joining us today what an awesome conversation if people want to reach out to you where could they find you jpeterwheeler.com has all my links you can find me on hey good chat if you ever need to tune a car stereo i've got an app on the app store called educar about a magazine, Educar Magazine, also car stereo stuff. Can't leave that industry. LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash J Peter Wheeler. I got a lot of places I can be found. I'm not really a private person. So love it. Thank you. We'll definitely make Don't Google uh, me though. Note of that. <laughs> okay. Do not Google the guy. 
just find him on the places where we <laughs> tell you on the show notes. They're in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Again, thank you so much to our listeners for joining us today. Remember, a new episode drops every Wednesday. Remember to give us six, seven stars. Tell your friends, family, and enemies about this podcast. And if you want to be on a podcast, tell them, Gianna, what they need to do. They need to send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com. See you all next time. <laughs>